Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Tune in for a Radical Philosophy live broadcast from Monash University featuring Associate Professor Karen Green, Professor Jana Thompson, Professor Lorraine Code, Dr Denise Russell and Professor Moira Gates. Hear a discussion on how philosophy for women has changed over the years. A joint event between the International Association of Women Philosophers and the Australasian Association of Philosophy Broadcast live from Monash University on Thursday the 7th of July between 3 and 4pm on 3CR, 8.55am, online and digital. Let's get radical about philosophy. Just a warning that there is some coarse language at the beginning of this recording. You're listening to Radical Philosophy and I'm your host, Beth Matthews. This week we have some Q&A from the recording of the broadcast we did at the Philosophy Conference. The last two weeks you've heard part one and part two of the conference recording and now we've got some edited Q&A. Enjoy. Uh, well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed uh, hearing all your uh, talks. Um, but uh, Karen, something you said uh, actually uh, about David Stove uh, set me in mind of something else you've said to me in private, so I hope you don't mind me uh, talking about it. Uh, you said uh, that in uh, early 1980s Australia, 1970s Australia, if you were a woman in a miniskirt and you walked down the street, an Australian man would call you a slut to your face, you know. You, and you found, however, that when you went to England, things were very different because uh, the culture was much politer and uh, a, a little uh, more repressed and, and men wouldn't say these things to your face. But you found that much more disturbing because uh, you couldn't fight it. And so uh, when you were talking, when uh, Moira was talking too, it made me think, well... Things have improved for, for us today as women in philosophy. They're certainly much better than uh, they once were. But you do wonder uh, if, you know, uh, if, if now that we're in a, an age and a time where men don't call you a slut to your face or don't tell you that they think that the history of women in philosophy isn't a very important uh, field, uh, when you don't have the sexism up there in front, perhaps, uh, perhaps these times are harder than the times as they once were, in the sense that you can't fight an enemy that you can't see anymore. So I was wondering if you perhaps just want to say a bit more about um, still this fight out there, the fight against in, implicit biases, um, unspoken prejudices, not just in men but in women and even in ourselves. Thanks, Jackie. Actually, I think you're unfair to uh, Australian men. They were never quite so explicit. They used to say things like... Uh, uh, nice legs, shame about the face. <laughs> but, um, yes, I, I, I'm not sure. I think that perhaps in different places uh, uh, sexism takes different aspects. But maybe there was something about the explicitness of Australian sexism which made it upfront and easy to, um, to fight against, whereas, as you say... In England, which of course was, uh, I went to Oxford and did a B. Phil. Uh, there were 
uh, at that stage, even at the undergraduate level, uh, five men to one woman. And as a, a woman doing a postgraduate uh, study in Oxford, one really did feel quite alien. And I think it was more that it seemed to me that the women um, in England didn't have very much sort of get up and go and spunk in the way in which the women in Australia had done. <laughs> but, <laughs> had, had. Um, but yes, I absolutely agree that there is um, still perhaps uh, implicit bias. And the only way I think that we can really uh, fight against that is by making sure that our processes are such that they're gender blind. Um, uh, it, things have been, uh, yeah, I, I found that one of the things that became, that was very good was the introduction of blind reviewing, but a lot of journals sort of backpedal a bit on that, you know. Um, but say in the ARC, for instance, the assessment of people's um, applications is not blind. Uh, and we need to be thinking about ways in which we can uh, divide the uh, assessment, say, of a project which can be blind from maybe a comparative assessment of the track records of people. Because it, at the moment, you know, uh, with ARC applications, um, the uh, people are asked to rank the applicants, but they know who, who they are, and there's a lot of space there for, for bias. Um, and so there are all sorts of ways in which we need to be much more careful, I think, to uh, weed out, uh, to have processes which, which, are, uh, which can be gender blind. But it's... Uh, look, this is, just <clears throat> this is just anecdotal, but from talking to people around different institutions, it seems to me now it's much easier for women in philosophy to get shortlisted for jobs than it was 30 years ago, but it's still very tough to get the jobs. And one of the reasons, it seems to me, from these accounts is that the areas that women often choose to work in are denigrated. So it's, you know, they, they may have more books, they may have more glowing references, but in the end, it's the area that counts against the woman getting the job in many, in many instances. I don't know if other people have experienced this. First of all, thank you for your comments. And I, I found it really interesting hearing about the way things have changed. I was actually thinking, as, as Jackie was talking, that there is still a, an area in which there is blatant and extreme misogyny, which is, is online. So with, with women philosophers who are publishing or engaged at all in, in online work or writing articles, so opinion pieces, then there you see explicit and extreme harassment. So I, I think... <laughs> It's not, it's not hard to come across explicit sexual harassment online and sexual abuse online. So I just wanted to be... And one of the downsides of that is that this seems to have a chilling effect. Like, some women I know are reluctant to actually publish feminist material online or even really any material precisely because of the, the trolling and the comments and the hatred that comes out. So I wanted to have any comment about that, particularly in relation to sort of public philosophy or philosophy in the public area. Um, and the second point I had was actually related to Denise's last comment, which is I wondered whether you, you could comment on whether you think there is still the view in philosophy or mainstream philosophy that the areas that women work on, or at least certainly perhaps parts of feminist philosophy, are not treated as real philosophy. I think it's uh, important that we stop saying that. Um, because do we think it's real philosophy? 
And if we do think it's real philosophy, then you're asking me. I'm a professor at the University of Sydney. Matter of fact, I have David Armstrong's chalice chair, much to the horror of my colleagues. <laughs> I'm sure they worry I could be menstruating on it. <laughs> I'm not. We need to take seriously that this is very important work um, and it is important work and I think that one of the comments that I sort of didn't get to because I was running out of time was to say that part of the cognitive dissonance, I think, is not acknowledging the degree to which feminist philosophy has made its way into so much social and political and ethical theory uh, without explicit acknowledgement that its roots are in feminist philosophy. Um, and, you know, I think even the way... I mean, I'm not... This isn't a criticism of Rawls, but even the way that Rawls uh, incorporated criticisms from Moller Oaken and other feminists of his um, paradigm, uh, it, 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 it's not as if there's a lot of acknowledgement that, you know, th this theory has been improved through feminist criticism. So I actually think... Um, I'm not a fan of standalone feminist courses. I haven't taught them for years and years. If, you, if, 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 if you're going to teach this material, I think it should be taught in epistemology, in metaphysics, in ethics, in politics, wherever it is, should be. And I don't think that means you have to teach it as the two-week add-on or whatever. Um, I think it can be taught in a way that's uh, threaded through. And if, you know, if in 30 years or 40 years... Sorry, I shouldn't. The journal wasn't path-breaking um, in an international sense. You know, maybe 40 years. If philosophy, you know, hasn't moved on in certain ways in 40 years, then yeah, we have, we have a huge problem. But I think it has, uh, but in a way that doesn't always acknowledge. Um, but I think philosophers are not generous people uh, in general in acknowledging their predecessors. We all know who. What's the good philosophy essay? The one that man handles. The objective critique, doesn't treat it fairly and shows how my view is so much better. I think there was another part to that, which is that online, I think, I think a younger person should say, if a younger person here wants to say something about that, yes. I think you should say it. Is there anyone here who works on this, who wants to say something about it? Um, because I, I think there are things to say, but I don't think you're asking the right thing. <laughs> Hello, I should probably introduce myself. My name is Louise Richardson-Self. Um, I'm a recent appointment at the University of Tasmania, actually. So, uh, And they hired, they were looking specifically for a feminist philosopher when they hired me, so I think that's something that I'd just like to share with everyone as a, a bit of good news. Um, but um, I'm starting new research into... Uh, hate speech, and obviously there's been a lot of literature, feminist literature and philosophy on hate speech, um, but I think one of the reasons that this has kind of been revived, for me at least, is this new online sphere and how hate speech has moved into a, a space, um, derogatory speech towards women has moved into a space where 
potentially it's impacting in different ways. Um, it's certainly lasting. It's, uh, it's an artifact in a way that it wasn't before, which has opened up um, a new space for analysis and probably contributes to uh, this chilling effect that you talk about where people are unwilling to put their views out there and fight back precisely because the artifact lasts. So I think that actually this is opening up a whole new space for feminist philosophy to go into and say, well, you know, how can we understand this? Is it defamation? What is it? And how, how can we come up with these new ways? Like, there's a role for philosophy here to to fight back, not not just for philosophy's own place on the internet, but for women's place on the internet as well. Maybe I'll just say something about the history of philosophy. Uh, not very many people know about Madeleine de Scudery. But Madeleine de Scudery was writing in the middle of the 17th century. And I think she's an incredibly important influence um, in our culture. Uh, she wrote great long novels. But most of the novels, a lot of the novels were conversations. And what she did was she provided a kind of... Um, role models for polite male-female interactions. That's to say, she was very conservative in a way. She was a monarchist. But at the same time, she had this idea of civilization being society where men and women can operate within the public sphere politely without denigrating each other. Now, in fact, during the 18th century... A lot of people, uh, for, during the 17th century, a lot of people read Madeleine de Scudery. The whole idea that um, the progress of civilization is the progress of the treatment of women was coming out of Scudery, and her novels were read during the 18th century. She was a big influence on Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Not everything was good about her, but one of the things that we seem to have lost is this desire, uh, the, the, the idea that, that, that really a respectable, a civilised society is one in which people criticise each other politely, at least, and don't go in for this kind of, of just um, ridiculous, appalling, denigratory kind of behaviour. Thank you. Um, Moira, you talked about being naughty, you talked about being crazy, you talked about being laughed at, I guess, um, openly in seminars. Um, this is something that I'm terrified of, you know, and you talked about the, the, the lunatic um, general philosophy department at the University of Sydney. And it, I was thinking as you were talking, this is something I'm afraid of, but maybe it's something you know, I should be cultivating or doing more of or we should be doing more of. And I was thinking about that space as a space where people were exploring, you know, things that were out there. And I, it made me wonder whether there are spaces like that now and whether with the metrics and um, expectations around publication and getting in particular kinds of journals and this sort of thing, there are still spaces like that and if they're important spaces and spaces we should be, I guess, creating or cultivating. Um, I think it's easy to say things like that when you're a well-paid professor. Uh, and um, perhaps, you know, a fuller story would be uh, the pain, uh, the self-doubt, uh, probably some tears. Um, uh, so I apologise if I gave the impression that, um, uh, you know, it was all a lot of fun. It, it really was not a lot of fun. Uh, often it was extremely painful. 
general philosophy uh, had its bizarre edges. It also had exceptional scholars who worked incredibly hard, and there's absolutely nothing mad about them and absolutely nothing lunatic about them, um, including um, Denise uh, to my left, who wrote a very important book on women and madness. Uh, you know, and there's a number of other colleagues. I won't you know, bore you by going through them. So perhaps I, I shouldn't behave so flippantly. Um, I, one of the things I was going to talk about was I don't read that thing. I went once to that site, What Is It Like to Be a Woman in Philosophy? And I'm so pleased that somebody did the other site, which was And Why You Want to Stay There? Because I just got so depressed reading that What's It Like to Be a Woman in Philosophy? I mean, I could tell you a million horror stories. I, you don't need to hear them. I, what I would like you to hear is that feminist philosophy is important. Your work's important. Um, you're important. Um, I don't want to tell the horror stories um, necessarily, but you know, there are plenty of them. Yeah, there are absolutely plenty of them. And, and I did have um, lots of experiences in the women's toilet with women who were crying and who didn't go on in philosophy. So that, you know, I was alone in philosophy. I mean, I, 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 my first tenure job was at Australian National University. I got the job that Genevieve Lloyd vacated when she went and became the first professor of philosophy in 1987 first ever professor of philosophy. And I recall very clearly, very nice man, he's not, an, he's not an unpleasant man at all. I was introduced to him as Moira Gatons, the new appointment, and he went, oh, oh yes, the Jenny Lloyd substitute. <laughs> That's really what he said to me, you know. Um, and he's a, as I say, he's a nice man. Um, so yeah, look, there's, there's a, yeah. There's a <laughs> I think you need intellectual courage to stay in philosophy. I really do. And I also think that a lot of the women who stay in philosophy, and I'd put myself in this category, don't mind a punch-up. And I really think that's true too, and I'm not proud of it, because I survived partly because of the, my particular socio, sociological, socioeconomic background. It's like, you want to... Yeah, OK, great. Come on, I'll have you. You don't frighten me. You know, you do not frighten me. And I think a lot of women are not trained in that kind of way. And if someone raises their voice or doesn't support them... Um, I remember a colleague at Sydney, for example, who said in response to a very good question when she gave her paper at the AAP, but... The, the man's name, but, I won't say, but X, I thought you were my friend. And it's just like, why are you so... He is. He's taking your work seriously. Uh, but I think that I certainly contributed to the adversarial... It doesn't frighten me, but it frightens a lot of women. And, and I think that's... I, I contributed to that. I, I think your question's very complicated, and I'm raving. <laughs> But I also think the point that you made about publication links into these um, suggestions I've been getting from people around the country about how difficult it is for women in certain areas to get positions. Um, and it's a similar thing. You know, if you get published in a certain area, um, it may not be valued as much as if you get published in another area. And, I mean, I, I just don't know what to say about that. I mean, I wish things were different. I don't want to say, go and publish in the area that's valuable. What I really want to say is, let's all work, um, especially these people who are in positions of power, all work 
to value more the input of women in philosophy. This is almost a follow-up on the very last comment. I have a question about the public role of women philosophers and more specifically maybe feminist philosophers. So we can go on and we need to go on uh, addressing the questions within philosophy, but if I take some topics that you all raised, like ecology, animal rights, and violence, especially violence against women, I really wonder what what could the public role of women philosophers and feminist philosophers be? So within animal ethics, do we have to address, for example, cosmetics that is completely under or non-regulated in contrast with medical sciences and or medical, um, uh, what is it, products? And for whom are the vast majorities of the cosmetics? For women, of course, they are marketed. What is our complicity and contribution to the climate change, especially uh, from, from a woman's or feminist perspective? Do we need to become a little bit more critical? And how do we actually reach out to the public? And finally, with the violence question, I mean, what do we say about the the violence and the discrimination, the stigmatization, for example, of Muslima women here in Australia. I only read, read that this morning in the papers. Uh, what do we say? And do we have a role? Or is that just the general role of anyone in, in any society? This is almost a follow-up on the very last comment. I have a question about the public role of women philosophers and more specifically maybe feminist philosophers. So we can go on and we need to go on uh, addressing the questions within philosophy, but if I take some topics that you all raised, like ecology, animal rights, and violence, especially violence against women, I really wonder what, what could the public role of women philosophers and feminist philosophers be? So within animal ethics, do we have to address, for example, cosmetics that is completely under or non-regulated in contrast with medical sciences and or medical, um, uh, what is it, products? And for whom are the vast majorities of the cosmetics? For women, of course, they are marketed. What is our complicity and contribution to the climate change, especially uh, from, from a woman's or feminist perspective? Do we need to become a little bit more critical? And how do we actually reach out to the public? And finally, with the violence question, I mean, what do we say about the the violence and the discrimination, the stigmatization, for example, of Muslima women here in Australia. I only read, read that this morning in the papers. Uh, what do we say? And do we have a role? Or is that just the general role of anyone in, in any society? Oh, look, these are absolutely enormous questions, and they're very important questions. Um, in some countries now, there is a ban on animal experimentation if it is purely to develop cosmetics. Um, so that is, you know, a big um, plus. Um, Australia is not currently doing experimentation to develop cosmetics. That doesn't mean 
that the cosmetics that we might buy haven't had animal experimentation behind them. They could well off in other countries. So there's inconsistency there, really. Um, but in terms of a feminist role or a woman's role, it's very difficult. I mean, we have somebody uh, who did groundbreaking work on vegetarianism with Carol Adams and her association of the um, eating of meat with the sort of male domination attitude. Um, but in general, I think the advances that have been made in terms of animal ethics have not been uh, specifically uh, feminist or specifically woman-centred. I think that they've been, you know, across both the sexes. Um, the primary examples of raising questions in animal ethics have come from people like Peter Singer and Reagan and so on, and uh, Francione men, um, although there have been very important writers there as well who are women, like uh, Sandra Harding. Um, so... Um, Difficult to say what a specific feminist role would be in this area. And similarly with the climate change issue, I think, you know, it's important to work together um, and that there isn't a, a specific feminist slant on uh, arguments for addressing climate change. But, you know, uh, this is a very ill-thought-out response to your very important question. Yes, I just wanted to say... A two or three things in response to what you were, uh, the points you were raising. Man, many of my thoughts today follow up on a book that I wrote, published in 2006 called Ecological Thinking. And in writing that book, I wasn't, uh, although I had written feminist books before and continue to position myself as a feminist philosopher, in writing the book Ecological Thinking, one of my first purposes was to try to develop a, uh, or, or recommend or exemplify a kind of thinking that wasn't top-down, individual-specific, uh, dwelling on one and one and one isolated example, but to urge a kind of thinking that was both communal, at least in its possibilities, and that also spread out horizontally more than vertically up and down. Now, this sounds like a grandiose scheme, and it... it uh, is something I'm still working on and probably will work on as long as I'm able to work. But I wasn't wanting to suggest that, even though I was writing from a feminist perspective, I wasn't wanting to su suggest that women are somehow more capable of caring for the world or for the environment or for one another or, or, any, or things of that sort. I wanted rather to, to, to try to work toward, I suppose, a way of thinking that was more hermeneutic than analytic, and that would look to hermeneutics and phenomenology for some of its examples and resources and for the way to pursue inquiry that would go across circumstances rather than only, in, only up and down, only vertically or horizontally. Now, this is a, a crude way of trying to describe something that's a long and difficult process, um, but I don't like the idea of I... I'm the work knower. I'm much more like the idea of we are the knowers, and that's that's not meant to sound like a Hallmark greeting card or something cozy of that sort. But it's meant to suggest that that there's a comment. I think it might be by by Wittgenstein, but probably someone uh, will know the source better. A, a comment to the effect that as an isolated knower, I could not know what my experiences are, which is both trite and deeply profound. And it's, it's something like that as knowing as, uh, as knowing as conversational, knowing as discussive, knowing as cooperative, and knowing as being prepared to stand back and listen 
to circumstances that seem not to fit, rather than struggling to save the theory in order to uh, smooth over the example or let it be concluded or included or something of that sort. So this is why, while I talk about ecological thinking as a way of thinking, I'm also interested specifically in the ways that it applies to ecological examples, specifically ecological examples. And one of the things, despite Plumwood's work and despite some of the work I've done myself and despite many others I could cite, I've now become a book review editor for a journal called Environmental Philosophy and I'm astonished at how few of the books that we're receiving for review are written by women. And I, found that, I find that puzzling. At the, at the moment I'm just puzzling about it, I don't have an answer. But these are the kinds of things I've been trying to think about in that way. Hello. There was um, a comment made at some point on the panel about uh, w how silly it would be to have men in philosophy as a title um, and comparable with women in philosophy. And, I, and I've actually been speculating recently on, on what it would be like to follow up a, a volume that actually Katrina Hutchison and I did a few years ago called Women in Philosophy, What Needs to Change? Reflecting upon the you know, rather stuck situation that we're in where there's been some progress but not nearly enough. What it would look like to do a book called Men in Philosophy, What Needs to Change? Because it strikes me that we really, you know, we have made progress, sure, but the fact that men have never so far had to reflect upon their gendered position within philosophical discourse, I think is a tremendous uh, gap in the feminist project, if you like. So I'd like you to comment on that uh, problem. The first thing I'd say is it's just not true. What you say is not true, and I, and I did mention Oppie, and I think it's worth mentioning him, you know, um, and I think it's. I, I think you're right. I think the instinct's absolutely right. And the women's, what are we called? The AAP Women's Committee, whatever we're called. We were talking today um, about this notion of champions for change. So one of the things we're concerned about is how do we get things to change? And I think the instinct's right that we need to have men in philosophy departments thinking about this question. Um, uh, in a in a way that they you know they're committed to and so on. But I think there are such persons. I don't think there's enough uh, of them, but I think there are such persons. And certainly, I would have to say that I have received in my career very strong support from some men, and it's made an enormous difference to my capacity to move forward and I'm very grateful to them and there have been women who have treated me very, very badly. So I, I, I think, I, I do under, I know that's not what you're, I know I So in the project of, of women and philosophy and the, the essays collected here, it's, it's women reflecting philosophically about, if you like, what needs to happen within philosophy for their gender to have a place, for it to matter uh, philosophically. And it, it's a question of, well, how do you, how, you know, why aren't men specifying their gendered identities as a dimension of their philosophical work in a way that women have for many, many years now? Uh, maybe they're not really reflecting. I mean, I don't know that, it's, that things are perfect. And one thing that I did notice at this conference was uh, I went to a philosophy of language paper given in the morning by um, a woman. And in the audience, there were three women. Um, and then uh, as I was leaving, um, a young man who has, has published a book on truth uh, was giving a paper. And suddenly, the flock of men appeared uh, and there is, I think, um, I, I, I don't think that men really think about 
about their own um, sort of concept of leadership, how they, they, uh, they, they get together as a tribe uh, and determine you know, who's going to be the leader of the blokes now, who are the new young blokes that we're all going to cite and talk about. And I think that it, uh, very occasionally uh, there is a woman who will get their attention, but uh, it does seem to me that, that there's a, there, is a, there are behaviours amongst the men um, which they are not really very conscious of. All right, we've gone over time, but we'll have to leave it there for today. But thank you very much for um, attending.